those two chapters in the book of Revelation, 4 and 5, which I've been uh, reminding us are foundational to the whole book of Revelation because they establish, they establish God's right and authority uh, to, to be God and to judge the world and to unfold his purposes into uh, our world and into eternity. So uh, that's what we've been looking at. Turn to, if you have a Bible with you, to Revelation 4. And uh, we'll read through both chapters again. They're not very long, just to get an overview of uh, what's going on there again. And then we'll start in about the halfway point of Revelation 5. And uh, just uh, notice a few things uh, in there as we, as we finish this off. You know, that's a good part of Bible study, is noticing things. <clears throat> Have a keen eye to look and observe and ask questions and, and notice what's going on there. By the way, uh, next Sunday... Uh, Einer Skolseg will be bringing the message for us, and I'll be in Tobermory wiggling my toes in the sand. And uh, the week after that, Zach Fairchild will bring a message out of Mark 5, Einer's out of John 17 about unity, and, uh, and then the first two Sundays of August, Mark Brown will be bringing messages, I think, out of John 13 and 14. So, so that's what's coming up, and, uh, but today, Revelation 4, verse 1, Lord... Be present in this time. We want you to have freedom to say anything you want to say to us as a church and to each of us as individuals. Strengthen our faith, deepen our love, and set our hope ablaze, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Revelation 4, 1. After this I looked, said John, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox, the third had the face of a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being." Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? 
But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They sang... Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So in verse 8, where we'll pick it up, the, uh, the Lamb, who is God the Son, Jesus, has taken the scroll from the hand of he who sits on the throne. And uh, in that scroll, it would seem are the, as we said, are the purposes and the will of God for heaven and earth forever and ever. And they need to be opened in order to be enacted. It contains the justice of God uh, uh, to be enacted against evil on the earth and the rewards of God to be poured out upon those who follow Christ and are righteous on the earth. And John was weeping because the scroll didn't look like it was going to get opened and that contains everything. And then the lamb was found worthy to open the scroll. The, uh, in verse <coughs> 8, when he had taken it, when the lamb had taken it, the four living creatures And the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So uh, I don't know if you think harps are are exciting or not. We're not exposed to harp music very much. We don't use it in church, really. Guitars maybe are our closest thing. But uh, anyway, harps were all through Scripture instruments of joy, always instruments of joy, expressing joyous praise to God. And, uh, you know, you've, we've all ha- have this caricature, this picture in our mind of harps in heaven, right? Well, here's, here's where it comes from, right here. And I think it's referenced again later on as well. But uh, just think joy when you think of a harp. And uh, <clears throat> if you don't like harps, maybe banjos would fit in. I don't know. But uh, something joyous and, and, uh, and, and lifting up praise, calling God's people to sing. And, uh, and so they each had a harp, but they had something else. Uh, they were holding golden bowls. 
full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Isn't that interesting? That, that what, what is that? You know, and there's another reference in chapter 8 to, the, to bowls full of incense, and they are equated to the prayers of God's people. Are all of our prayers in those bowls? I wonder. Some prayers are, that's for sure. I don't know if they all are or not, but I'd like to think they are. And that all the little prayers that we have prayed over all of our lives that we think maybe are, I don't know if that one ever made it through the roof, we might think, you know, uh, my praying sound feels so weak, and sometimes I've only got about, you know, like a third of the faith that I should have, and, and we bemoan our prayers, and we have prayer meetings, and people pray, and, and uh, where, where did all those prayers go? Is it, is, it, is it possible that they're right here, and that they fill heaven with incense, and that God, if I could say, collects our prayers, and that they adorn the atmosphere of heaven? Prayers prayed in faith. Don't stop praying. It's easy to grow weary in prayer. Those prayers are collected by a loving father. In our kitchen, on our, on our fridge, and probably we're not the only ones, there are these beautiful paintings. Um, <clears throat> there's one there of Papa. And Papa has like these huge googly eyes and and these little arms with like three fingers on them and, and little stubby legs. And Papa really looks weird, but Papa thinks that's the most beautiful painting in the world because it was made by Rose, my four-year-old granddaughter. And I wonder if Papa in heaven looks in that bowl and says, I just love my children. I love their prayers. Are they perfect theologically or were they eloquently expressed? No, but that does not matter to me. They make heaven full of incense. I repeat, don't stop praying and sending those prayers up to God. He collects them, and, uh, and they have a place there. So the four living creatures, it says, and the elders sang a new song. <clears throat> Notice the word new song. And all through scripture, you will see uh, several times, especially in Psalms and once in Isaiah, where it says they sang a new song. And new songs were sung when new developments happened. Uh, when, uh, when Moses and all the Israelites passed through the Red Sea, first thing they did was sit down and Moses wrote a song. And everybody sang it about the great victory and the great deliverance that God had accomplished for his people as they passed through the Red Sea. A new song for a new victory, a new development. In Psalms, uh, it will say, Psalm 98, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. Isaiah 42.10, sing to the Lord a new song. He has in his praise from the ends of the earth. Psalm 40, verse 3, he brought me up out of the miry clay and put my feet on a rock, and he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And so what's happening here in heaven, as John witnesses, and, and here's a new song being sung, is the new development is the emergence of the Lamb who is worthy to open the scroll and bring forth the purposes of God. And this calls for a new song. Oh, how I wish we knew what the lyrics were in that song. Actually, we do. Let's read them. John wrote them down. They sang a new song 
And this is a, the, the, either the, the, the complete lyrics or the gist of the lyrics, but here they are. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because, notice why he's worthy? Because, let's stop for a minute. If you go to the Hockey Hall of Fame, which I never have, um, <clears throat> you'll see names and photos and hockey sticks and pucks and they all, they all have something associated with them. And you'll see famous people in the Hockey Hall of Fame. There's other Hall of Fames, I know, music and, and uh, football and <clears throat> all those important things in life. And, uh, and, and, uh, and if, if you don't know anything about hockey, you'll say, why, why is Rocket Richard's name there? And why is that stick there beside his name? And, and someone will explain, well, he accomplished so much. He scored 50 goals in 50 games, and, and he was a, an amazing player back in the 50s for the Montreal Canadiens. Oh, okay. And, and uh, Wayne Gretzky, who, who was he? Why is he worthy to be here? And, and someone explains all of Wayne Gretzky's exploits. Suppose we were in some other Hall of Fame called Heaven, and we see the Lamb, and we say, why is he worthy to be here? And we're told, you are worthy to open the scroll because you were slain. And here we have in this song, this new song of heaven, the gospel being celebrated. The gospel never grows old. It, it, has, it has no shelf life. It has no half life. It will always be scintillating in its meaning and in its power in heaven. <clears throat> you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain, because you died on the cross for sinners. That's what they're saying here. Don't ever grow weary of celebrating that. That's why Jesus said, take the bread and take the cup and remember me. We're to remember the centerpiece of all of eternal history, the cross where Christ died for us and rose from the dead because you were slain and with your blood, you purchased for men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Let's pause and notice a few more things here. Christ is worthy because he was slain and because he shed his blood, and that always means he gave his life. But behind all of that is love. It's the love of Christ for sinners. It's the love of Christ for you and me. Love is the, is, the, is the strangest thing in all of... The love of God for us is the strangest and hardest thing to understand that there ever is. You ever thought about that? Why, do, why does he love us? I don't know. Is it because you and I are lovable? I don't think so. It's just because of who he is. <clears throat> just as... The light of the sun falls on a, on a field of, of grain and brings it to ripeness and affects it. But did the grain make the light come down? No. The light comes down, the warmth comes down just because of what the sun is. That's just what it does. And this is just what God does. He loves us and he gave his life for us. The Apostle Paul was urging the early Ephesian church and us included to, to think about and try to fathom the love of God. And then he says, you never will be able to. But here's what he wrote in Ephesians 3. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know the love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. It's almost humorous here. Paul says, I want you to try to know what can't be known. What would you say, Paul? Try anyway. 
think about it all the time. You are loved by God just because of who he is and, and how he looks upon us. And you know why also this is hard to understand? is because maybe some of you have seen some of those latest images this week from the James Webb telescope that's up there 100 million miles and bringing back photos of the universe to us that, we've never, that are just amazing. The size, the scope, the color, the, the, the variety of things in the heavens and, and the God who presides all of that. Here's the strange thing that he's even aware of us. Little specks here on this little speck called planet Earth. Is he aware of us? Not only that, but he cares about us. Not only that, his care, he loves us. Not only that, that he would die for us. Paul said that the height, the depth, the width, the length of, of God's love is, is just beyond knowing. But Christ is worthy because of his love. Heaven is ruled by love. This song has love in it, the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. This is all about the atonement of Christ. The atonement is an Old Testament word which has to do with a sacrifice where sins are covered. And in the Old Testament, they had temporary sacrifices where that happened, but they were all pointing to the ultimate sacrifice when the Son of God would die on the cross for sinful men and women whom he loved. And they're celebrating the atonement. But four things to notice here about this atonement. First of all, you purchased for God with your blood. Men and women from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. It's a bloody atonement. I said this last week. It's messy. It's bloody. It's horrible. It's awful. And the reason for that is because sin is so evil Sin is so pernicious. Sin is so cunning and, and entwined around our souls. Sin is so hard to remove and hard to cleanse away that it took a horrible price to be paid in order to make sacrifice for the sins of the world. I asked you last week to never forget that. Never stop thanking God for the unfathomable work that was done at the cross when the lamb was slain and his blood, in scriptural terms, washed us clean. Those who repent of their sins and put their faith in the work that the lamb has done for us. It's a bloody atonement. You know what, though? A lot of other movements or maybe religions call for the followers to shed their blood. But the amazing thing about the Christian faith is that the Lord shed his blood. We don't have to. It's, it's his blood not ours. There's no war to go fight. It's all been fought by him. Notice also, says, we have been purchased by his blood. We have been purchased for God. <clears throat> Quote, unquote, with your blood, you purchased for God people. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you've realized it or not, but it, it doesn't work this way where, where we come to Jesus and he cleanses us and saves us and then a kindly doddering old grandfather God in heaven pats you on the head and says, there, you're all forgiven of your sins. You go have a nice time and we'll see you later in heaven. No. You've been purchased. He owns you and me for a purpose. We've been purchased for God, for his joy and his glory and he wants us to live now in service to him, not just running around doing our own thing uh, with, and, and forgetting the God who purchased us. 
The Apostle Paul said this so clearly in 1 Corinthians 6. He's talking to the Corinthians about their moral misdemeanors. And, uh, and he reminds them with, with the bottom line of why we should be pure and live, live pure before God. And he says it this way in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And so we've been saved and cleansed for a purpose, for God to use us and employ us and deploy us into the world uh, as his agents and as redeemed sinners. Thirdly, this atonement is inclusive. It's multiracial, multilingual, multiethnic in its, in its nature because he purchased men and women from every tribe and language and people and nation. And uh, that, that's, that's meant to include all of humanity, no matter what your ethnic background is, what language you speak, what color is your skin, we're all going to be one in heaven. There's, 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 this, is, this is very relevant today in an, in an age where race is such a hot issue, isn't it? And, and uh, people are arguing back and forth about things. Race just isn't an issue in heaven. We're just all, we're all there together, all saved, all equal. There's not a, a, a whisper of it in heaven. doesn't need to be. And the foundation of that is right here. It, the foundation of, of all anti-racism is, is the heart of God, who loves all people equally and celebrates our differences for sure. You know, I, I, I like different cultures and the way that they worship and express their Christian faith. And some are very musical and loose and free. And others are more intellectual and curious and wanting to know things. And, and others are, are uh, more, more pious and pr praying a lot. In heaven, we'll, we'll just have it all together. We'll just all complement one another and it'll be complete, our worship of God each person and each person group bringing to the, to the worship table, you might say, to complete the perfect worship of God. And lastly, uh, this is a, a, a missionary atonement. Uh, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. They will reign on the earth. I was just kind of uh, captured by that word that he's made us priests. What you have to do, first of all, is put away all images of, of religious priests that we might have in our mind uh, here on earth, some of them not accurate, um, but that God has made all of his people, all of his children to be priests. And you have to understand what the priest did in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the priest stood at the sacrifice and he brought God and sinners together over a sacrifice. That's where they could meet. And we as Christians are priests in that we, we stand before the cross, which is the ultimate sacrifice, and we bring, we bring God and our friends together to, to be reconciled to God. And we act as priests in that way, uh, sharing the gospel, bringing people to God, bringing God to people. <clears throat> a, little, a little illustration of that was Kathy and I had a, had a, uh, a lunch with... Uh, a friend of ours and friend of some of yours uh, named Marion from Scotland. 
And uh, she was over here visiting, and she was telling us about a neighborhood where she lives and how she knows her neighbors really well. She's such a great example of just infiltrating her neighborhood and getting to know everybody. And she says, yeah, there's a drug dealer that lives down the street, and there's a, another fellow up here with big problems, and somebody over there. She knows everybody and their, their situation. And she said, uh, one day she said, I was, uh, and she's a lovely Christian, if I didn't say that. One day she's, she's going out her door, and her neighbor, a man, was having just a, a terrible time. He was, he was just losing it emotionally and mentally right there in the street. And so she went right to him uh, and, and she talked to him and tried to calm him down and then she escorted him into his house and, and uh, was just making sure he's okay and he was still kind of agitated. And, uh, <clears throat> and she, said, uh, she said, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I heard God telling me, pray for this man right now. So she said, I said to him, would you like me to pray for you before I go? And he said, oh, would you? And so she said, I, I prayed for him. And it, it just brought peace to him. And I thought, she's being a priest. She's bringing that man to God, and she's bringing God to that man in prayer. She didn't, the, the story didn't say he repented and became a Christian right on the spot, but I believe he took a step in that direction because he met a priest or a priestess or something like that, uh, right in the neighborhood. That's, that's what we all are. So let's be busy uh, and, uh, and, and fulfill our role. He's made us a kingdom and priest to our God. So just those words on this atonement that is being sung about in Revelation. Verse 11. <clears throat> then I looked... And I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne. Can you imagine that? They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they sang. Here's their song. Worthy is the Lamb. So this worthiness theme again. Who was slain? Again, connecting the worthiness to his death on the cross. To receive power and wealth, wisdom and strength, honor and glory and praise. There's kind of a sevenfold, sevenfold blessing there. Uh, how many angels was here? Well, first of all, John says many. And then he says, uh, well, actually, uh, numbering uh, thousands upon thousands. And then he says uh, 10,000 times 10,000. I did the math, and 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. Uh, that's, that's a lot of angels. Like, you ever been in the Rogers Center when it's full at a Blue Jay game? That's just 50,000. And, uh, and, and, and so, you know, and if they all sang at once, that would be wonderful. But we've got here, not 50,000, 100 million forming a choir encircling the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and they are singing, worthy is the Lamb, just celebrating the worthiness of the Lamb of God. Can you imagine what that would be like? I try to sometimes. I think we should. There's more. Verse 12. Then I heard... Okay, I've got to stop here before we read any further. There's a progression happening here, okay? When we started this morning, we were back in verse 8, and John says it's the four living creatures and the 24 elders who are singing the first song. Four and 24, that's 28 creatures singing. 
Have you ever been to a special concert sort of thing? Uh, maybe I, I once saw uh, a, the, a 300 voice Mennonite choir doing Handel's Messiah uh, in, uh, over in Kitchener somewhere, and, and there's, a, there's a powerful sound that comes from a large choir, but that was only 300 voices. Uh, it's beautiful, but sometimes uh, a, a technique they will use is that, is that a few of them, maybe in the center, will begin to sing, and it's, it's beautiful, it's sweet, there's harmonies, and you're thinking, this is great. And then they sort of complete their little part, and a larger portion of the, portion of the choir joins in. Like, if you start out with 12 of them, then maybe, maybe 100 more join in, and, and it just swells and gets stronger, and, and you think, wow, that, that just overwhelms what I was just hearing. This is so much better. And then the full choir joins in, and there's maybe hundreds of voices, or maybe it's an orchestra. You know, you started out with just a few strings, and then you've got the wind instruments, and now the percussion. It's, it's, it's just overwhelming. It's a wall of sound. So notice what's happening here in chapter 5. First of all, the first song, we've got 28 singing. And then in uh, chapter uh, 11, we've got 100 million I don't know if that's a literal 100 million or it just means a lot. I think it means a lot. 100 million at least singing. Imagine the wall of sound that's, that's all focused on one purpose, one purpose to, to de declare the worthiness of the Lamb. Okay, verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Every creature? Animals? All the humans? Like earthworms? Every creature? I don't know. All I know is it says every creature. But this brings us to something called Hebrew nature poetry. And back in the Old Testament, when the prophet or the psalmist was really getting down to expressing moments of joy and praise, in God's world, maybe looking forward prophetically to a, a coming day. Sometimes the, 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 uh, the, the writer, whether it would be David or Isaiah, would speak of um, trees clapping their hands or rivers singing or mountains bowing down. And we say, that's just metaphors. I mean, that's not really going to happen. Let's not be so quick here now. Now, I know scientists would tell us, well, that can't happen, but uh, they're not, they don't have God in their, in their thoughts. Scientifically, naturally, no, it can't happen. But when God cuts things loose, you know, get ready. Get ready for Hebrew nature poetry. Isaiah 55, 12, it says, Then God's victorious people, redeemed people, then you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. Psalm 98, 
speaks of, quote, rivers clapping their hand and mountains singing together for joy. What will that sound like when, when the, the, the muffler is, is, is lifted? You've got mute buttons, right, on your, on your Zoom thing, and you just unmute, and creation will be unmuted. It really will. Every created thing. The great book of Romans, that's Old Testament. Does the New Testament say something about this? Paul does very specifically in Romans 8, where he talks about, about the future when, when uh, well, the mute button is going, unmute button is going to be pressed, and creation will be freed to express itself to its creator in whatever way that happens. And uh, let me just read some of Romans 8 to you. Paul says, this is an unusual phenomenon. For I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. That's that future day when Christ returns and, and, and we are, our full redemption is, is unleashed when we're taken out of our sinful flesh and out of this sinful world and everything comes together. The, the creation, it says, is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed for the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as, to the, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. What's that, what's that saying? It's going to be set free. The creation as it is now is groaning. And all the, the creation disasters and things are part of the groaning that we, as, as we still exist under the curse originally put upon the world in Genesis 3. But the curse will be lifted and the, their voices will be heard. I, I just like to think about it and get my imagination as pathetic as it is sometimes to just start trying to think what this is going to be like. And it's all to God's glory. And so John... John says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and even they are singing somehow, contributing to the song and the worship <clears throat> and the praise. The four living beings and the 24 elders, they've kind of escorted us all the way through these two chapters, right? They, they appeared early in chapter 4. Then later in chapter 4, they were singing, Worthy are you to receive glory. And then in verse 8, the four living creatures and elders again. And how fitting that the chapter with this tremendous, tremendous tsunami of praise and worship is being unleashed by all the creation and as the curtain falls, you might say, on Revelation 5, we read, the four living creatures said amen. Amen means I wholeheartedly agree. They're agreeing with creation's worship in the elders. Those poor elders, they're on their face all the time. They, they fell down and, and worshiped. There they are on the ground, joyously worshiping God. Let's do the same. Let me pray. Living God, living God, known to us as Father, Son, and Spirit, known to us in this passage as He who sat on the throne, and then 
a little more clearly known to us as the Lamb. We add our amen to these words of worship that we read of in Revelation 4 and 5. We admit that our worship is nothing like the worship of which you are worthy. But we find no disapproval or reproach in your response. You are ever gracious and kind and loving. We look forward to the day when all restraints will be removed and we see you clearly, not just in a glass dimly, and we will join the trees and the rivers and the mountains as they clap their hands and sing for joy over our great God forevermore. Amen.